Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. James chapter 2 is where we are going to be. We are in week 3 of our sermon series in the book of James. And if you want to catch up, where can you catch up? On Spotify, yes, absolutely. And what we started with two or three weeks ago when I opened was I talked about this idea that all of us are in this place where we are asking God, what is your will for my life? And uh, as young adults, but really as anyone who loves God, I think one of the questions that we frequently ask is, God, I want to know what you want me to do. I want to know your wisdom. And kind of how we opened a couple of weeks ago is we discussed this idea that one of the best ways for you and I to know God's will is to learn how to think the way that God thinks. And what we discover whenever we read the Bible is that God does not think the way that we think. And in fact, God is often thinking completely different thoughts and in completely different ways than we are thinking. And as we open up the book of James, that is abundantly evident. And what you're going to discover if you read James on your own or if you journey through it with us at the harbor is James is like the best book at the Bible at getting in your face, making you uncomfortable, and stepping on your toes. Because basically everything in the book of James is just like, wow, like, I don't do that, and I need to, and like, I don't do that, and I need to, and I should probably do this, and I, do, and I need to. And so uh, on the one hand, I think James can be maybe one of the more painful books to read. Because like, I feel like a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, I'm always like, man, I, I hope for some encouragement. I hope for some, like one of the promises of God that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. And like, there's some of that in James, but like, uh, there's other b- books where you can find that a lot more quickly. But what's beautiful is, with the book of James, when we dive in, when we start to meditate on it and think about it, what we discover is that uh, when we start to reflect on how God thinks, that he thinks in such amazing ways, and as we start to obey God, uh, we're going to get better at discovering his will. Because the more that I know God's ways, the better I'm going to know God's will. And so that's why we want to study the book of James. And I want to let you know that tonight really is no different as far as James getting in our face and stepping on our toes. So be ready. But be ready to be encouraged and challenged tonight. We're going to open with verse 1 in the book of James. and Or in the book of James chapter 2. And I think this is going to really set the stage for us. So look with me on the screen or in your Bibles. James chapter 2 verse 1. It says this. My brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So James is kind of introducing a new subject. He hops around to a lot of different topics in the book, and he's introducing a new subject here, and the subject is the subject of favoritism. Uh, Another way to say that is partiality. In other words, as we look at each other, uh, we must not have preference one for another. Now, we're going to unpack that because this whole teaching tonight is about this topic. And in fact, the title, if you want to write, take notes and write down, the title is No Favoritism. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my two boys, Isaiah and Malachi, who I bring up in every sermon. So here it is. Um, th- they have a few sets of grandparents. Um, and uh, they have uh, my uh, wife, Katie, her parents. 
and then they have my dad and his wife, and then they have my mom. And so they have three sets of grandparents. And what's interesting is that each one of those sets of grandparents kind of has a different life situation and a different uh, financial situation. And because of that, uh, the grandparents are able to provide different levels of experience for my kids. But here's what's amazing. They are three and they are one. And so whereas one set of grandparents may be able to rent a boat and take them out on the lake, another set of grandparents may be able to uh, come and take them for two or three days and go to this amazing experience. And one set of grandparents may not be able to do as many of those things and may be able to just provide like, hey, we're going to go around town and we're going to uh, pop in a pet store and we're just going to have a, uh, a great time at the condo or whatever. Like no matter what it is, they don't care. They are so stoked to hang out with their grandparents. And they're like, this is the most amazing experience of my life. This plastic toy along with my grandparent is just as good to me as any other experience. Like if they popped me on a first class flight and flew me around the world for a tour of two weeks exploring the world's greatest monuments. Like, I don't care because I love these people that love me. And truly, when we are children, we do not have favoritism. We love everybody. But here's what happens. We start to grow up. And as we start to grow up, we start to create categories for things. And on one hand, uh, these categories are not bad. God created a ton of different people, and he created a ton of different diversity in every single different way. Even in the things that we are passionate and the things that we are interested in, there is a massive diversity of what we care about. We, we all have different personalities. We all have different skill sets. We all look completely different. And, and so it's okay for us to identify that, and it's okay for us to say, hey, there's some things that, that I like that other people don't like, and vice versa. Um, I think about, and, and I'm going to give a, a shout out and slightly pick on, no, not really pick on at all. I'm going to give a shout out to my good friend CJ on the front row, okay? So CJ, I know two things about you. Um, you love theater and you love NASCAR. It's just two, I don't know, you might be the only person in America who like loves those two things. And I'll be honest, like I, I don't, like personally, none of those two things are going to pop up on my algorithm. But I love talking to you about them because I think it's amazing, and I love listening to your passion on those subjects. Uh, my wife Katie and I, a couple of, like about a year ago, got to see you perform in Sense and Sensibility. Amazing, you did the best job ever, it was so cool, we loved it. And it's like, that's cool that we like different things. But here is the interesting thing, that at some point along the way, all of us, for a variety of different reasons, some selfish, some because of things that happen to us, uh, we don't just recognize that there are differences, right? Because everybody starts recognizing, hey, there's some differences here. Even my son Isaiah, who's three, is starting to recognize like that there's boys and there's girls, and that's like not this exact, that's not the same thing. And so we recognize that there's differences, but along the way at some point, we move from recognizing there's differences to creating a hierarchy within those differences. And even starting to say, there are some things that are really good and there are some things that are really bad. We create a hierarchy and we even start to discriminate. 
And, and here's how I like to kind of think about it. And I think a lot of times this starts in, in middle school. I kind of like to think about it like Jenga blocks. And, and I like to think about that we all in our minds kind of start to build this Jenga block tower of what we think is awesome and what we think is not awesome. And some of it is just very like practical stuff. Like we all had probably the friend in high school that like had the boat. And it's like, we just liked that friend more than the friend that had the Honda Civic, right? It's just like, I'm just gonna like you more if you can take me out on the boat instead of like, hey, uh, hop in, it's a two-seater, you know? And so there are things that are just super practical, but then we also know that there are people who discriminate based on other things. They discriminate based on gender. They discriminate based on race. And we all know that there are things in our lives and in our minds where we are constantly doing this. And I believe every single person in this room is constantly doing this. We're constantly saying like, hey, here's kind of where I am in the social hierarchy. Here are the people that I consider to be better than me based on the rankings that I create in my mind. And here are the people that I consider to be lower than me based on the th rankings that I create in my mind. And that's just a human fact that we start to do that. And so he here's the crazy thing that James is actually just saying. He's saying this ought not to be. Like, it's possible that this is going to happen in the world, but it ought not to be true in the church. We should not be creating a social hierarchy where we value some among above others. So we're going to keep reading. Look with me at verse 2. He's going to give us an example of this favoritism. And he's going to say this. Suppose a man comes into your meeting. He's talking about a church service. Wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. He says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's the 2023 version of that. When you're creating the church service and you say, hey, like, photography team, when you're picking out the pictures for social media, like, make sure to find the coolest, the most trendy, the, the best looking people in the crowd. That's the ones you're going to want to take a picture of. Just don't act like there's anybody else in the room. And by the way, as I'm looking around, all of you guys would qualify and be in those pictures. You're all beautiful looking people, okay? Congratulations. I show no favoritism. But, but here's what we got to understand, that um, in this moment right here, James is identifying that in churches that people can discriminate based on income and that that is actually a temptation. But I want us to go a little bit deeper than that. At that time, there were really two different types of groups within every single church. Really, there were Jewish people. And then there were Gentiles, or we'll call them the Greeks, because uh, several places in Scripture, they're called the Greeks. And each one of those people had a different social hierarchy. And I'm going to put this up on the screen. I want us to see this. If you were a Jewish person, here is the kind of social hierarchy. First off, there were the religious leaders. These were the men who were the absolute best. Then you had rich Jewish men. Then you had poor Jewish men. So Right now, we see that there's a hierarchy that, like, before 
women even get into the picture, like this was superior. Underneath that, you had rich Jewish women, you had poor Jewish women, you had Jewish slaves, and you had Gentiles, and then you had barbarians, which were like basically the people that weren't even civilized enough to be Gentiles. And so this is a hierarchy that was created. This was how they created value within their society. Now, picture that, that half of the church has this hierarchy. Then there's another half of the church that has a completely different hierarchy. They have property-owning Greek men. Then you have legitimate sons of property-owning Greeks. You have illegitimate sons of property-owning Greeks. And you have free Greek women. You have property-owning Jewish men, free Jewish women. You got slave men. You got slave women. So what, what you're seeing is, like, they had created a hierarchy. Now, Clearly, like, this hierarchy is not good. The Jewish hierarchy is not good. Like, that's not a right way to view things. But I just want you to notice something for a second. Just imagine half the room has one hierarchy, half the room has the other hierarchy. Now, you're a church together, and so not only do you have your own set of hierarchies, but you're also viewing the other people who have a completely different set of hierarchies. And now James is writing to you, and he's saying, actually, you know what? There should be no hierarchy at all. There should be no favoritism among you. And in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, he wrote this, and this is why he wrote this. He said in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now this, this verse, it does not mean that there is no such thing as males and females. It does not mean that these categories that Paul is identifying completely cease to exist in our world, what it does mean is there should be no favoritism among you. That when you look at someone, you should not rank them first and foremost based on your own version of the Jenga blocks or based on someone else's own version of the Jenga blocks. But you should look at them and say, ultimately, I am seeing you based on how God sees you. And we are, as Christians, all one in Christ. There is no hierarchy. And, and so here's kind of the big idea that we're going to be talking about today and that we're deep diving into. And you can write it down. We've been really talking about it the whole night already. And it's this, that there should be no favoritism among followers of Jesus. Now, I want to just say something really quick. That doesn't mean that you have to immediately start hanging out with every single person at our church the exact same amount, okay? It would actually be uh, non-loving for me to, uh, s uh, there are people in my life that I'm called to prioritize. I'm called to prioritize my wife. I'm called to prioritize my children. And as much as uh, I do very much love CJ and love hanging out with him, it would be unloving for me to prioritize spending time with him over spending time with my children because that is who God has called me to be around. And so I'm not saying that you have to hang out with everybody equally. And, and even as you look, that there are going to be people that you naturally click, click with. There are going to be uh, connections that you make in community that you make. And even sociologists would say that, that it is impossible for us, like human beings, we're in tribes, we, we connect with certain groups of people, and it would be impossible for us to even become friends with every single Christian. It, ju it just wouldn't work like that. That's not how God wired us. But here's what it does mean, and we're going to talk more about what it does mean in a moment, but what it definitely means at least is this, that we should love and value and cherish every single person just as much. 
It says in Romans chapter two, God is not a respecter of persons. What that means is that God loves every single person equally. Now, now God uh, does not treat every single person equally because we have free will and we respond to him and, and how we respond to him has something to do with how God responds back to us. But God loves every one of us. And God values every one of us, and we are called to do the same. So there ought not be any favoritism between followers of Jesus. We're going to keep reading. James is going to elaborate. He says this in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who you, to whom you belong? So he's talking about a specific instance here. I'm going to also read from James chapter 1. Uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago when we read James chapter 1, I skipped over this and promised I would come back to it. So here I am keeping my promise. It says this, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. And in the same way, the rich will fade even when they go about their business. So let's talk about this for one moment. What we don't believe is we don't believe that we are justified by works. In other words, we don't believe, and, and James is not here saying that, Everybody who's poor is going to be a Christian. And if you want to become a Christian, you need to become poor. But what we do believe is, and, and Scripture teaches this throughout, that God actually does have a special place in his heart for the poor and for the needy and for the suffering, for the oppressed and for the downcast. That, that God has a special value that he places upon them. And he also says it is easier for those who are poor to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said how very difficult it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so it will be easier for those who are poor, who are oppressed, who are needy, or who are downcast because they have a need and they can cry out to God, whereas those who are rich and comfortable in this world have the additional burden and the additional challenge of being self-sufficient. Now, today, here's what I want to do. This was an extended intro, and I really want to talk about two things. Remember, our big idea today is this, that there should be no favoritism when it comes to followers of Jesus. So I have two things that we're going to talk about today. First, we're going to talk about rich and poor. James has been talking about it. And so I want to talk about how the scriptures view the rich people and poor people versus the worldly view of the rich and the poor. And then also, at the end, I want to say, how does this apply to us today? How can we take this and apply this idea of favoritism to our lives? First, though, we're going to talk about this. How does Scripture view the rich and the poor versus how does the world view it? And I want to say that I believe that there are two unbiblical extremes when it comes to the rich and when it comes to the poor. And I would like to call these extremes every man for himself— and equity of outcome, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that. 
But the first position that I believe that you see very prevalent in our world today. And by the way, as I was thinking about this, this topic, in case you haven't uh, thought about it, like this topic is very huge in our world. It's a big discussion that our world is having right now because our world is talking about equality. Our world is talking about diversity. Our world is talking about the differences and similarities that we have. Our world is talking about prejudice and favoritism. And, And so this is something that like, Every workplace, every uh, news outlet, every political person, they're thinking about and talking about and asking these questions. And and so what I would say is that right now, probably if you look at uh, how we can categorize things, most people uh, would fall into one of two camps. And uh, the two extremes of those camps, I believe, are both unbiblical extremes, And so uh, this is where, this is one of those things, and this is kind of a little bit of a sidebar. Um, Jesus doesn't have a, like, political party. Uh, Jesus doesn't have a political allegiance in the United States because uh, Jesus has a kingdom. And his kingdom is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, unfortunately, like in the United States, we have a two-party system. And so uh, oftentimes what we're having to do when we're electing officials is we are having to choose uh, oftentimes between uh, the, the better of two evils. Uh, but, but we must be careful not to say, hey, Jesus would be on the left or Jesus would be on the right. Because Jesus would say, hey, I'm actually, uh, you, I, I'm not on somebody's side, I'm on my own side. And I am building my own kingdom, okay? And so when we see these things, here's what we see. First off, that the mentality of every man for himself And this would typically be more of like a, quote, Republican mentality or more of a far-right mentality. That is actually an unbiblical extreme. Um, There is a book that I had to read once when I was doing a scholarship essay. And and it was a book uh, by a a woman named Ayn Rand. Um, It's called Atlas Shrugged. Did anyone ever have to read that book for school? Uh, A thousand pages. Tough read. Tough hang. A hundred percent. Just like should have written it. 50 pages, in my opinion. Like, that was like my review for the scholarship. I didn't get the scholarship. Um, but kind of the summary of it was, uh, she's, this is a, a line that is repeated over and over again. And it's kind of the summary of her worldview. And it's this, I will never live for the sake of another man, nor ask another man to live for mine. And basically her worldview is, we all should be people who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Personal responsibility is the most important thing. And so like, The best way that we could live is I look out for myself, you look out for yourself, and we will all get ours, okay? And so the the most sort of like uncompassionate version of like a a far-right view is that, that that's like, man, you know what? Every man for himself. All we have to do is just kind of create open space and just whoever wins, wins, okay? That That is unbiblical because as followers of Christ, we are called to serve one another. We're called to love one another. We're called to, we're going to talk all about why that's unbiblical in just a minute. So I'm not going to go too deep down that rabbit trail. The other extreme, though, is uh, what I I would call equity of outcome. And this would be maybe more of like what a a far left perspective would be. And you guys have probably seen this before. Um, The idea of equality is that everyone has the same chance. And the idea of equity is that what we need to do is we need to basically create a system where everyone finishes in exactly the same place and everyone is completely equal in exactly the same way. Um, That's a really good idea when it comes to like three people watching a baseball game. Um, The problem is that it doesn't work as well in like general life 
because in this situation, it's very simple. All three people just want to watch a baseball game. Um, in a lot of situations, different people want different things. God has given different people uh, different skills, different passions. And so it's just, honestly, it's something that is impossible to achieve. Um, that's just practically looking at it politically. Um, and in addition to that, um, when you look at the kingdom of God and when you look at biblical thinking, no writer of, of the New Testament, including Jesus, is inherently interested in equity of outcome in this life um, that Jesus and the writers of the New Testament are primarily thinking about building God's kingdom and how we as followers of Christ can live in this world building God's kingdom in the eternal world. That doesn't mean that we don't have any passion or any care for the things of this world. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what I mean by that. But here's, here's kind of those two things I would say are the two extremes that are both uh, incorrect non-biblical views. So what is the correct view? Well, I think it's important for us to see this, that um, in, uh, the, in the Old Testament, God established the nation of Israel. And in the nation of Israel, God said a couple really interesting things. He started talking to those who were landowners. Now, pretty much every family at one point uh, in the nation of Israel was a landowner, and that was really, really significant. Um, it's very important. Uh, owning land, owning a home is a very nice thing to have at this time, but it was a massively important thing back then because that was your really only source of wealth. It was your only source of power. And he said something really interesting, that um, he had this, he, God established this rule for the people, and it was, I know this is super deep, so stay with me for a second. I know we're kind of going down like a little bit of a deep rabbit trail, but, but I think it's important to lean in. Um, God uh, for, he, he, he told the people that there was this thing called uh, the year of the canceling of debts. And so every seven years, God instituted for the nation of Israel that every single person that went into poverty, that had to sell their land, that had to sell themselves into slavery, every seven years, they would be set free. Now, here's the thing. That actually gives a ton more power to the people who had gone through hard times, who had experienced poverty, who had experienced hardships, and it gives less ability for one really wealthy person to amass all of the monopoly of land, right? Because if you think about it, one really wealthy person who's smart and who's successful and who knows what they're doing, they could start saying, you went to hard times, I'll buy your land. You went into hard times, I'll buy your land. And all of a sudden, he's owning the entire piece of the pie and everyone's working for him. And God actually instituted, hey, every seven years, this is going to return, the debts are going to be canceled because he wanted uh, the, those who were in power to have a heart for those who were poor. There was another thing called uh, the tithe. And the proceeds of the land, every 10%, 10% of every proceeds of land were brought into the temple. And some of that tithe was used for a lot of different reasons. But every third year, God actually had the entire tithe. So 10% of, of the entire proceeds of all the land, one out of every three years, was to be used as a distribution for the poor. And so the entire community says, I am committed to contributing some of my hard-earned, hard-worked land and food to those who are poor, those who are needy, those who did not earn it. 
And, and so he, here's the real biblical view of wealth, the real biblical view of rich versus poor. And I'm, I know like we've kind of gone down a deep rabbit trail. Thank you for staying with me. I think it's important because it's like something that I think is really important to think about. First off, I wanna read a quote from uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, the late great Dr. Timothy Keller. He says this, Israel was charged to create a culture of social justice for the poor and vulnerable because in that way, the nation could reveal God's glory and God's character to the world. So God did say like, I'm counting on you to have personal responsibility. I'm counting on you to work hard. I'm counting on you to build wealth for yourself. But while you're doing that, it's also important to think about the foreigner, think about the widow, think about the orphan. And we are creating ways for them to flourish and thrive as well. And so here's what I would say. I would say this, and if you check out the next slide, that followers of Jesus, uh, we're called really to, to this, and first off, we're called to recognize areas of power in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. Each one of us have places where God has blessed us, where God has given us the ability to have uh, a certain amount of influence or a certain amount of, of blessing, a certain amount of wealth. And so for some of us, that might be social that you're someone that is very popular, you're someone that uh, has a lot of friends, you're someone that it's easy for people to connect with. For some of that, it might be financial power, that you have a lot of wealth, you have a lot of resources. Uh, for some of that, that might be organizational power, that you're in your company, you have a lot of influence, you have a lot of voice. Uh, for some people, maybe you have a lot of political power. I don't know, there could be like some future pres of the United States sitting in here. I believe in you guys, it could happen. And so here's the, the thing though. We're called to recognize, like, man, where are areas where God has blessed me? Where are areas where I have influence that other people don't have? And so here's the next thing. We're called to choose not to use those positions of power for our own advantage, but we are called to choose to inconvenience ourselves in order to serve those who are in positions of less power. And so, see, this is not a force thing where uh, some political organization says, hey, we're all going to kind of redistribute all the power. This is not something where we say, hey, guess what? Everybody is uh, on their own, good luck. But this is something where followers of Christ recognize, this is what God has done in my life. This is where God has blessed me. I'm not gonna use my blessing to build myself up. I'm gonna use my blessing to bless other people. And so here's a couple examples of that. Um, an area where I would say I have been uh, blessed or where you could say maybe I have power is that uh, I have a lot of influence at our church. Uh, I'm one, I sit on our uh, leadership team. And so I, I'm one of the probably 10 to 15 voices at our church that has the most influence as far as where we're going, what direction we're headed, uh, what type of church we're going to be. And so there are meetings that I'm in that a lot of other people don't get to sit in, that I could make decisions that really hook me up and help me out. A, a super silly example is I could be like, man, like we gotta have like more people like serving me, bringing me bottles of water, cooking me food, making me coffee on the weekends. Like I gotta go get it myself. This is ridiculous, okay? That would be a great example and a silly example where it's like, man, this is benefiting me. But what I am called to do is to recognize, okay, God has placed me in this position of power, not so I could think about how could I hook myself up more, but how could I serve everyone else that's not sitting at that table? 
Here's a really practical example for you guys. And I wanna speak specifically to those of you guys who feel like, man, you've been a part of the harbor for a while. You have your community. You're thankful for what God is doing here. And when, you, when we break out of the harbor, you're like, man, I'm talking to a lot of people. I have friends everywhere. Okay, God has blessed you with that. You have a position of influence at the harbor. And, and so again, the, the natural pull that all of us have is, man, this is awesome, this feels good, I love this, I'm accepted, I'm, I'm, I'm welcome here, and, and that's good, I'm happy. But, but what God has called us to do is to say, okay, that's a blessing in my life, but there are those who have not yet been connected. There are those who uh, are still on the outside. And maybe that's just because they started, maybe because that's just because, you know, crowds are for their personality, not as, uh, as, as easy as for others, whatever the case is. And so all of us are called to say, okay, I'm not just here in this blessing so that I can reap the benefits. I'm here so that I can serve other people. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that? Here's a great, uh, maybe you're thinking, Brian, where are you getting all this? Like, is this even biblical? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is biblical. Philippians chapter two says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So he had the ultimate position of power, the ultimate blessing, the ultimate um, position of influence. He was God. But he said, listen, that's not for me to be used to my own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So remember I said we're gonna do two things tonight. We're gonna talk about a biblical view of rich versus poor, so we've done that. Now I just wanna talk about three practical ways that I want us to think about things. How can we apply this to our lives? And really these three things, I believe as James has been challenging us today, I believe he's teaching us a different way to think about some things. And so I wanna talk about three things. The first one is this, that James is teaching us a different value system. He's teaching us a different value system from what can you do for me to how does God view you? And, and I was thinking about this. Um, all of us have someone that is a celebrity that we would really like to hang out with. Right now, I just want you to think about that for a second. Who is that celebrity, that person you follow, that person that you look up to and admire? And all of us are like, man, I would love to hang out with that person. And maybe even like that's a celebrity that like, you feel like you know them because like you have consumed their art or you follow them on social or whatever. And you're like, man, I just know if we could hang out, like we would vibe. Like they're gonna be friends with me. They just need to meet me first, you know? Um, I am super dorky and I like golf. And so I have a golfer, uh, Justin Thomas is his name. He's, he's the man, I love him so much. And I'm like, I really think if he just got a chance to know me, like we would be boys. I could walk around with his golf tournaments, like we could hang out, he would love me, and I feel like I could encourage him in his walk, you know, in his golf, and just offer him scripture to like help him, and I just think it would go really well. But, but here's the reality. Whoever that person is, the reason that I like Justin Thomas is because of what he does for me. He entertains me, he makes me laugh. I think he's a cool guy, I think he's an awesome golfer. I don't love him truly for who he is. I like for what, how he makes me feel. And, and really, if you think about it, a lot of our relationships can be like that. They could be an inherently kind of selfish relationship because, I mean, I, I like this because it's how, how, how they make me feel. 
And again, that's not to say we shouldn't have friends. We should have people that encourage us in our lives. Praise God for that. But what we're shifting is it's not just about how the person makes me feel, but it's how does God view me? And in God's kingdom, God views every single person as made in his image, as cherished and as loved. God either views people as Christians, people to be loved and to help him, them grow in their faith, or as people that he loves that he wants to see in the kingdom. And either way, he loves them, and either way, he has a heart for them. And so I'm look, learning a different value system, and I'm saying, I want to see people the way that God sees people. So that's the first thing, a different value system. The second thing is a different path to greatness. A different path to greatness. You see, when we think about favoritism, oftentimes what we're thinking about is, how high can this person take me? I, I, was, I was thinking about it, and I, I have like, um, I don't know, like two, two people that follow me on Instagram that have like blue check marks. And nowadays, that's not as big of a deal because I think you can buy a blue check mark for like $7 a month or something like that. But like, th there is like a fleshly side of me that like, when that person who had the blue check mark followed me, like, I got excited because I thought, like, man, this could result in, like, me being known more. This could result in, like, me making a cool post and that person sharing the post to their more followers than I have and people being like, man, Brian's so cool. He's so smart. Like, I should introduce him to my friend Justin Thomas. <laughs> Maybe he'd love to play golf with him. I don't know. But, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, and I believe when we think about favoritism, what we're actually saying is like, whatever I'm aspiring to, whatever greatness I deem, like I'd like to identify and put myself around people that I think are gonna help me get there. And that could be fame, that could be a, a, a promotion, that could be more wealth, or that simply could be, you know what, like I just wanna be accepted, I just wanna have friends around me, and who are the people that can help me get to that? But, but what Jesus is introducing us to and the, the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom is not how high can you take me? What can you do for me, but how can I serve you? And, and how can I draw near to you, not so that you can help me somewhere and not so that you can move me up the Jenga blocks, but I wanna get down and I wanna serve you and help you get closer to God, make you feel known and loved by God. It's a different path to greatness. And then the last thing is this. It's a different type of community. And, and we're moving in this different type of community from do you add value to you are valued here. Um, I, I, was, I was on social today or this week and uh, on social or this week, the Wimbledon tennis tournament is happening. And I was just kind of on whatever page I happened to be on and I noticed, like I clicked a picture and it was like a couple of famous people and they were at the Rolex club at the Wimbledon tennis tournament, okay? So Rolex kind of has this private place at Wimbledon, which is a very prestigious tournament, and they invited all of these celebrities, and they're like, man, we want you to come to our Rolex club. Now, I, I noticed, as I saw people posting pictures of the celebrities that they were with at the Rolex club, I noticed Wimbledon was not like, man, who are some construction workers from Palm Bay that we can invite to our Rolex club? 
I didn't see anybody who was like, best cashier at McDonald's, Rolex Tennis Club, right? No, Rolex said, man, we have the elite people and we want the elite people to be at the Rolex Club at Wimbledon because this is a party for you to see and to be seen and this is a party for you to be the type of person that you, when you make it to the Rolex Club, you're like, I made it in life. I got there. And I think that what James is identifying here is, is James is saying like there's something in us that either A, we want to get invited to the Rolex Club and so we're aspiring to get to whatever that is or B, we kind of want to create the Rolex Club and we only want the cool people that we think to be part of our club. But I think what God's heart is for the church is that if we think about this Jenga block of hierarchy, there are people, and these are not people that are invaluable, but these are people that the world deems are invaluable, that there's no club that they're like, we gotta create a club for these people. And what God is saying is, I created a club for these people. Like, these are the people that need to be welcome at my church. These are the people that, just like Rolex is like, we are rolling out the red carpet. We are giving you the five-star treatment. We are welcoming you. We are loving you. We are feeding you. We want you to leave feeling like royalty. God is like, that's what I want when somebody walks in that everybody in earth is like, they're right here. But God's like, I want you to treat them like they're in the Rolex club. And I believe that is God's heart for no favoritism. That when we look at people, we, we say this is a different kind of community. And this is the kind of community that loves and welcomes everyone. And that says we don't have the Jenga blocks anymore because you're made in the image of God and we love you and we celebrate you and we want you to be here. So here is how we're gonna close. I'm gonna ask Julie to come up and she's gonna play for a little bit. And I put up three questions on the screen. Do I value people the way that God values them? Do I care about earthly greatness or kingdom greatness? And then am I valuing people that the world celebrates or that Jesus died for? And what I want us to do for just a couple of moments is I want us to just reflect on these things. And I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And, and I'll be honest, I do believe, like, I think everybody is, is, is gonna feel convicted by this. I think this is just one of those messages that's like, man, it steps on everybody's toes. But let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to draw near and to encourage us. And in just a couple of moments, I'm gonna come up and I'm gonna bring out a close and it's gonna be an encouraging close. I just wanna share a couple more verses as we finish out here. You know, as we think about the idea of the poor or the idea of the needy, I just wanna offer couple things as we close. First off, I want to give you this verse from Proverbs. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And so I love that we serve a God, that his heart is for those who are needy, for those who are less fortunate, for those who other people have forsaken and forgotten. But it's so cool to see that God says, hey, like, when you extend kindness and generosity, I see you. And I love this. 
we lend to the Lord. So you're giving to someone in need, but you're actually lending money to God. In other words, God is like, hey, I'll pay you back. And I like the interest rate that God pays us back on. God will bless us for this. So I just want to encourage you with that. But I want to close out our passage in James, and I'm going to read this section of Scripture. This is how James finishes this section. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you do show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you, not, you shall not murder. Here's what, go back to this real quick. Go back to the other screen. Here's what this says, and this is kind of the hard truth. If you're thinking to yourself, okay, like, yeah, I show some favoritism here and there. Like, not a big deal. It's not one of the bad sins. There's some worse ones out there. Uh, James is actually saying, yeah, this is, this, is, this is just as bad. You're breaking God's law. You're not loving people the way God wants you to love them. And so none of us, like, get a pass if we're like, man, hopefully this one's, like, kind of one of the ones that we can't get a pass on. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's that God does take this seriously. That's the tough news. Here's the good news that we're going to close with. You can go to the next slide. It says, if you do commit adultery, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But here's the good news. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so here's what we as Christians believe. What we as Christians believe is that uh, there's no one in here that can keep the law. There's no one in here that can do enough good deeds to make it to God. And, And so we actually are all deserving of God's judgment. However, this last verse says mercy triumphs over judgment. It says it means that God prefers to pour out mercy. He will judge those who do not turn to him, but his massive and vast preference is, I want to give you mercy. And so for all of us here, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, if we have believed in him, then we are recipients of his mercy. You are forgiven. Grace has covered your past. Grace is covering your present grace will cover your future. And so even as we all stumble forward, as we all try to grow in this area, God's grace is with us and God views us as his sons and as his daughters and he is for us. And if there are those here that would say, Brian, I I came in here and I've been convicted by this, but I, I I don't even know if I am a Christian. I don't know if I'm walking with God or maybe you've walked away and it's time to come back. This, this verse reminds us mercy triumphs over judgment, that God loves you and he wants to pour out his grace and his mercy in your life. Come back to him, turn to him, and he wants to walk with you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we're just grateful for what you're doing in our lives. God, I know that the tough passages of scripture, sometimes they are difficult to process because they They step on our toes, they get in our face, they ask us really hard questions. But God, I pray that we would be people that would have your heart, that would love like you love. I pray that we would recognize where are the areas that you have blessed us. And may we not view those areas as things to hoard for ourselves, but as things to pour out and give to others. And God, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, 
that tonight that they would turn to you and begin to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.